The following programming is sponsored by Six Feet Over Under Productions. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or Beasley Phone. Media Group. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and 97.5 HD2, part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. There is Qu- none. Quiet week, Jeff, right? Nothing's well, happened. Not much going on? Nope. Did we get Not somebody? Basketball. Did we get somebody good to break down what the heck happened yesterday? I don't know. Is it, did we? I, I think we did. Do you want to um, ask him the most pertinent question and introduce? Oh, you him? think this guy knows anything about the Sixers? Well, why don't you introduce him so people know we're talking about? All right, him. I think we have on the line uh, Keith Pompey, master of of breaking stories from the Philadelphia Inquirer. Keith, how you doing? Are you tired? Uh, no, nah, I got another story to break. Oh, what? Oh, I, I have a. I, you know what? I'm really regretting <laughs> saying this. But what's your what's what's the story? He did ask <laughs> what, Keith. Oh, no, I want to be nice. <laughs> Michigan won yesterday. <laughs> oh, Leave really? me alone. Jeff got all right. So I, I, I do have, uh, and I and I I uh, posted something to you which you ignored unless you're really working on the story, which is is. The untold story of this is what happens to the remaining meat pies at at, at the Wells Fargo Center. Do they get shipped oh. to Brooklyn? <laughs> you know what? It's funny. Remember those feet? They have, I don't know if you noticed, but they haven't been serving meat pies all season. Yeah, they were out of them. They yeah, sold those. They, they still have them on the menu, but apparently we, we've tried, and then they don't have them in stock. <laughs> so, nah. all right. So we'll, we'll see if the meat pies end up in Boston or in uh, Brooklyn. But we know that Ben Simmons is going to end up there. Take us through how this all happened the last uh, couple days. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, these people have been talking for a while through back channels to the point where a lot of people were saying tampering, 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 you know, um, but it, it just seems like, you know, James publicly, and not publicly, but to his teammates for a while, was saying, oh, I, I like it here. I love it here. But behind closed doors, he was telling his friends, the other people, he wanted out. And I think, like, what happens is, you know, Michael Rubin, who, who's a good friend of his, a co-owner of the Sixers, you know, basically, you know, <laughs> helped negotiate to get him out in a way. You know, him and, and other people. Now, of course, people are going to say, no, that's not true. Yaddy yaddy, but um, you know, from what I heard, that you know, Michael Rubin was a player, and it, and and you know, in regards to, to helping out with things on the back channels and 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 all this other stuff. So that I mean, that's how it really happened. But it, it's it's weird because you look at it, and Brooklyn is is coming out. They're saying nothing's going on. We want to keep them. We want to keep them. But then all of a sudden, they start saying, you know, it's one of those. Well, we really want to keep them. But if you really want to give them up. You know, it's one of those things where you're going to have to give us a lot. So it, it, from looking at it right now that Brooklyn won the trade, you know, just by looking at it now, but you never know what's going to happen, and you never know how trades really pan out until like months or even a season down the line. Look, it, it, in my line of work when I'm not doing this and negotiating things, this, there's always every side always thinks they gave up too much. But if but if you look at what they gave up, I mean, start with start with Andre Drummond. It was great to have him as a backup center, but do people forget what Joel Embiid did to Andre Drummond when he was on the other side of the court? Would you not want him in the game in the playoffs for the as a net center? 
Yeah, but I, you know what? I think it's not quite, um, you know, what Joel can do to him. It's kind of like what he can do while he's playing next to, you know, Kevin Durant and Kyrie. Right. You know, I think that, you know, when we look at it, you know, we, we, we're talking about head-to-head. I mean, I look at a team. Now, again, I, I'm not saying that uh, this, who won or lost the trade. I'm just saying I look at this Brooklyn Nets team, and now they have four all-stars in the starting lineup. You have Ben Simmons. You know, Drummond was a three-time all-star. And you have perennial all-stars in Kyrie and and KD. And then you have the sharpshooter who's going to take the place of Joe Harris. So when you factor in that you got rid of a guy who didn't want to be there, a guy who was struggling this season for you, and you're able to bring in two all-stars in the sharpshooter form, you know, I, I think that people in Brooklyn are extremely happy, just like people, some people in Philadelphia are extremely happy that they were able to get a, a, a perennial all-NBA player in James Harden. All right, so when should we expect to see, it with their new numbers, both of them, Ben Simmons and James Harden, on the respective courts? You know what? I don't know. I mean, that's a great question. You know, I, I think with Ben, it's going to take a little while. You know, he's going to they, they, he's going to have to practice. He's going to have to do some things to show them, like, you know, if he's up to speed condition-wise to play. You know, James, you know, he's coming off of that, that hamstring injury, and it may take him. You know, some people, I don't expect him to be back. Well, he won't be back at least until Tuesday, and I don't even know if Tuesday's a target date. You know, I'm I'm just come up here with the speculation. Like, if his hamstring is is you know is tender, and we know how the Sixers are and people like that, I wouldn't be surprised if you don't see him until um, after the All Star game. Now, again, this is just me talking, but I wouldn't be surprised. You know. Okay. Well, the the person that apparently would be surprised is anybody on the TNT broadcast because. The, <laughs> They they seem to think that the way they were talking is James Harden's hamstring injury is going to magically go away. Well, a lot of people are saying that. I mean, a lot of people. They're not the only ones. I mean, you know, I've even written. I wrote that when uh, sources said to me that you know they don't know. Like like they think like they think that it's one of those things where he just didn't want to play. You know. So again, that's what I'm saying. Uh, I really don't know, like, the word around the NBA, everybody's saying he just wanted out. I mean, maybe that could have been it, but, um, you know, I, I just, you know, it's, it's a tough situation for me to speak on. But so, that's what people are saying. So what do you think the starting lineup and rotation is? Is this a Maxi Harden, Thibel at the three, Tobias Harris at the four, and then Joel at the five? Is that their starting lineup now? I think that's it right there, unless maybe if you want to get more shooting on the floor, then you might say, okay, Danny Green or Furkan, you know what I mean, and, and replace a Maxi. But I think, like, Maxi has shown that he is a starter in this league. So, you know, I think that that would be a little, yo, you ca- you helped carry us all season. Now you got to go to the bench, you does, know. So I, I, I don't know if that's going to work. Does Matisse – as as a great defender, now become more valuable in the starting lineup, though, because you don't need his scoring as much. With Harden in the lineup and Maxi there also in, in more of a scoring role, does does it make sense to keep Matisse in the starting lineup because it provides a little bit of defense and also the opportunity to switch off because Harden isn't it, exactly the best defender? It is, but at, but at the same time, 
I mean, you do, but I also think you also need a shooter in that starting lineup. I mean, I know Tobias Harris can shoot the three. I know that Maxie is shooting 40% from the three. But, you know, you, you when like to me, a, a, a three-point shooter is, is a guy who can do it, show that they can do it over seasons, not just, you know, have, in the midst of having a great season with it. So I think we'll learn a whole lot. I mean, I, I think that we'll learn a whole lot more about his shot over time. But at the same time, like I would, you know, I, I think that you would want to have somebody who's a designated uh, floor space, uh, force placer. You know, like to me, you know, right now, if 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 if, if it's me, like, um, you know, next year, I know you can't do it now, but you got to go out there and get a a three and D who's going to actually, you know, be able to to do that on a consistent basis. That's what they need. I mean, I get I get the defense thing, but. You know, you, you want to get somebody that's going to be able to let that two-man game really work out to the best of its ability. With the way that these two are going to run the pick and roll, it seems like they're going to live at the line, and they're two good free-throw shooters. Am I seeing that wrong, or, or are we going to go from a guy who didn't really want to shoot free-throws to two guys who are literally going to live there and uh, put a lot of points up? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I see that. I see that with you. We're going to see that. But you know what? It's kind of hard. Like, you know, a lot of people, we always try to, like, predict what's going to happen or say, oh, this and that. I get a little leery of that because I've been, again, this is my ninth season covering the Sixers, and I've seen a lot of things. Like, the biggest thing was the whole Markel Folks thing. Now, I know this is completely different, but <laughs> on paper, yes. But I try not <laughs> to, to look into things because I've seen a lot of things go left with this team. Well, well, the one thing you're you're now seeing that, that that has been happening in the last nine years that you've been covering it is the process is officially dead, correct? I mean, all that's left now is Joe LMB from the process. Yeah, and that's why he coined the phrase. That's why he took over the name. He got he would he uh, he uh, got the trademark the process. Though I, <laughs> I am seeing some of the process supporters saying, "Well, the process led you to your two superstars with Harden and Embiid." Oh. So that's generally what really? your, your process people are saying. Keith, what do you expect to see uh, from this team in terms of Doc? He hasn't liked some of the questions and scrutiny he's gotten this season. I would think this ramps up the pressure on him now that he's going to have those tools to, to play with in her in Harden in the lineup. Uh what does this do to Doc? I mean I think it you know, right now before the pressure was on Daryl Morey to get somebody. Now the pressure is on Doc Rivers to get him out of the second round. You know, so you know it I think that you know the, the clock just ticked. It's time now. You know, it's it's one of those things where you know, some people may say that James, some people, you know, he, he, he didn't shoot as well as he did um, this season as he did in seasons past. But at the same time, you look at it and you have to say to yourself, like, look, right about now, you know, you went out there and you got yourself this perennial all-NBA player, former MVP. You have Joel Embiid playing at an MVP level. So when you have things like that, you look at Doc Rivers and it's like, hey, bro, you know, we, we we can't go out in the second round. And, you know, it's like one of those. It's like we can't do that. Is that the, is that, the, is that the question you're asking at the next press conference? Hey, hey bro. Nah, nah, I can't nah. I can't wait to see his response for that one. I'm, I might have to DVR that before you ask it, Keith. So, nah, so I won't so, do that. Do you, so do you think Maury's done? 
or do you think that that once people start getting cut um, that they'll that they'll go after a backup center that they'll see if there's a three and D guy that fits into this or do you think for the most part I mean we're now seeing the roster no nah, they're looking for I mean they have one they have an available roster spot now and they're looking for a backup center in the buyout market you know whatever they can get um, but I do think that we'll see some more like it's one thing people don't realize like guys like B-Ball, Paul, Charles, Bassey, Isaiah, Joe, um, they're all like on nine guaranteed deals next year, right? right. And you look at a guy like you look at um, a guy like Shake Milton, where they have a team option. I mean, Shake hasn't played in like two months, right? So I'm saying this to say like a lot of the changes could come next season. I mean, come over the summer. Now, again, right now, you know, last year we all thought, like, okay, they were going to upgrade in the buyout market. They couldn't get anybody last year in the buyout market. I don't really see, you know, you got Tristan Thompson, uh, you know, maybe. You know, but I don't see a lot of guys in the buyout market that could really, say, help this team right now in regards to a backup center, you know, um, at least not to the to the level of the guy that they had. So with that being said, it's like, yeah, you can try, but you know you got to be a little bit fortunate because there's going to be other people taking and picking them up, and they may say, "Look, <laughs> you go somewhere else, you're going to get more shots, you're going to get more minutes, you're going to do this, you're going to do that." So, you know, it, 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 it's it's tougher than it than it seems. So you mentioned somebody that actually is interesting to me, which is Shake Milton. What's the latest on Shake, and, and is he going to come it. back? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I don't have it. <laughs> I don't have. It. <laughs> I mean, I just I don't know. Like it, they, it's one of those things. Is it's like top secret. I don't. You know what I mean? Like it's crazy. Yeah. It, it, All right. Well, then then I'll then I'll ask this question. What what's what's your prediction for the Super Bowl? Uh, that's where we got to go. That's where I was wondering. <laughs> you know. Do, do they have any Michigan guys in the Super Bowl? Uh, I knew there was going to be an angle there. There is a Rutgers guy in the Super Bowl, Keith. I know that. Who, who does he play for? Uh, the Rams, Sebastian Joseph Day. We've had him on the on the show before. Good dude. Has a uh, cooking they, show they, also. They, but he's not playing. Nah, they gonna, they, 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 that's a shame. They're going to lose. <laughs> the Rams are going to lose? I'm going, I'm going with the Bengals. Yeah, Hold score? I'm, I'm, I'm going with the Bengals. What's the I'm score? Going, uh, I, I really wanted the Rams to win, but now they just, just got cursed with that Rutgers dude. <laughs> hey, man. Keith, we, um, have, we have the prop bet guy on later, and we were talking about there's a prop bet. Uh, you can bet on whether somebody does an Icky Woods celebration. So a lot you can go with throwing that game. Nah, man, I'm a, I'm disappointed. There's a uh, a Rutgers dude on that team. Yeah, I hate to break it to you, man. We got we occasionally get a guy that wins the Super Bowl. Is, is he is he a kicker? No, he's a defensive lineman and he plays pretty good. He's next to Aaron Donald. He won't play in the game. Apparently, uh, hold up, hold up, hold up. He says next to Aaron Donald. Yeah, he's not so Aaron he, Donald. So Don't Aaron, worry. So Aaron Donald is carrying him, huh? Oh, I'll let you That's take it up with on. him. I'm not going to fight that no, argument. Yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah. Because yeah, you know you got to have a pit man. You know, like make it easy for look, the other guy. Look, look at him. Look at him. You know spread those peacock feathers. So next, all of a sudden, Pitt comes out of nowhere. The next time that he comes on the show, I'll let you know the. I'll let him know that you'd like to talk to him about what he does. We're going to do that. Bet, we're going to do that in I, studio. I, you know what? But I bet you look the money that he's making. I bet you he knows the Pitt fight song because that's what he's paid by playing next to uh, We will so leave it there. Messing. Keith Pompey, c- congratulations on the conclusion of the Ben Simmons Circus trade era version. Good luck in the James Harden is here version. We look forward to following you at Pompeii on Sixers, reading you in the Inquirer. Take care of yourself, man.
All right, like, and one thing I will say oh, this, y'all. Uh, the thing about Shake, I was, I just want to say this. I hope I'm messing with commercial break. The thing about Shake is just that he's been having a hard time. Like right about now, he's starting to do some on court stuff. So you know, what I mean, I think, I, you know, it's 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 taking it a little longer than I expected. But you know, it's one of those things where he was a ways away. You know, so like I don't know if he's doing five on five scrimmages, but he is doing on on court stuff. Well, we'll, get, right. we'll get the latest on your Twitter feed and the paper. Thanks for keeping it up, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Hell to pit. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all right, Jeff. So do you... It uh, always comes back around. It's it always... Either, it's either taking a shot at Michigan or Michigan or and pit. Any thoughts yeah. before we head to the break on anything Keith said? Uh, if, you know, I just want people to understand that it's not... We always think we gave up too much. I'm not telling you we didn't. I'm telling you it's an overreaction to say that now because you don't know. We will have to see what it ends up being and whether this works out. Why don't we hit the break? When we come back, we'll have new Temple football coach Stan Drayton. Stick with us. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEG, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. It is so great to get a few minutes to talk with the new head coach of Temple University football, Stan Drayton. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm doing phenomenal. Doing great. Great to be here now. How about you guys? We are- We're doing great, Coach. Good. So uh, as somebody who's spent a little time out in western Pennsylvania, what we wanted to start with uh, – your college days. You started at Allegheny College, and the question that we got to ask you at first is, "Why Bottle Rocket?" Oh, where does that nickname come from? You guys, you guys went deep in a hurry, didn't you? <laughs> we do our research here, Coach. We try to be prepared for you. Yeah, I, I try to keep that a secret, but it's it's out there. So um, that name came with, and a lot of the younger guys will not even remember this person, but the Rocket Ishmael. Remember him? Yeah, remember I that? do. Unfortunately, Jeff, as a Michigan, as a Michigan grad, man, I, Jeff I remember him very well. well. Yeah, 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 you should. You should. But uh, no, I was a track athlete along with a football uh, athlete as well. And uh, during the track season indoor, uh, we ran against uh, Notre Dame at Notre Dame at an indoor track meet. And uh, the big uh, buildup to that particular meet was the Rocket Ishmael was set to break the the all-time 60-meter dash record, right? And uh, so, ironically so, and uh, I just so happened to be in the lane right next to the Rocket Ishmael. And uh, so, first opportunity goes out. I'm nervous, as you can imagine. And uh, Division three athlete around all these Division one athletes, and boom, the gun goes off, and boom, the second gun goes off and there's a false start. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, looking around side to side, I'm ahead of the whole field. I'm like, man, that, that was me. I must have just false started. And it wasn't. It was a, it was a guy that was two lanes over, and uh, we had to restart the whole deal over. And so here we go the second time around. Pow, the gun goes off, and I'm in the lead. And I'm like, holy crap. I'm, I'm actually beating the Rocket Ishmael for about 15 meters, and all of a sudden a flash just comes <laughs> flying past me and there's the rocket he goes and i ended up placing third in that meet amongst a bunch of division one athletes and uh actually pr and broke allegheny's record at that time and so the head football coach uh ken o'keefe who was at the meet uh, just kind of supporting me uh gave me the name hey i mean you were right there with the guy so i'm gonna start calling you the bottle rocket and 
Man, I have not been able to live that nickname down. <laughs> I, I tried to reject it in that moment, but it just kind of just took off. So unsuccessful in that. You know, you you mentioned the the track effort, and we we like to talk to people about uh, sports specialization. You're somebody who who was a two sport star who won yeah. honors and awards. Could you speak to how playing multiple sports helped to shape you as opposed to just specializing in one? Well, I'll tell you what, it was a a direct correlation of, you know, enhancing my ability to to run in open space and, uh, you know, pull away from people, uh, become more explosive in that respect. It really made me a better football player. But quite honestly, it was a way for me to stay busy. You know, at at that time, I wasn't a very uh, mature person and I needed uh, activity in my life. So, you know, track and field actually uh, kept me busy during the off season, uh, kept me in great shape uh, for the football season to come, you know, so I just thought it was a, a, an awesome correlation for me uh, for both sports to be in my life. And plus I come from a track background. People don't know. Um, uh, I have Olympic gold in my family, a guy by the name of Paul Otis Drayton, who actually ran at Villanova University. And, uh, you know, he won Olympic gold at the Tokyo Olympics. I, I don't want to get this year wrong, 64, 68, one of those years. Um, he actually tried to get my family, my dad, uh, not to let me play football and to kind of focus in on track. So I was actually a track athlete before football, um, but I love football too much and tried to find a way to put both of them in my life. If you, As you look back on your, your younger self, you mentioned your younger self before and having to grow. Was yeah. there a point at which, while you were even in college, that you said, someday this is what you wanted to do? You know what? Uh, not necessarily in college. You know, while in college, I was, you know, an English major, uh, thought I was going to go into law. I actually spent the year uh, as a GA studying for the LSAT, you know. So I had this thought, and, and really that thought process was planted into my head by my parents you know, hey, go be a lawyer, go be a doctor. Those were the common things you heard growing up, right? Don't uh, do it. Jeff's, Jeff's, yeah. a, Jeff's a lawyer, so and a lawyer. I thought about you, it. You made the right call. I thought I'll about it and decided <laughs> it was not for me, too. So go on. I'll tell you what. I really had, I mean, I spent all my summers in Washington, D.C., the whole deal, you know, just trying to figure out that's what I wanted to do. And, you know, the funny story for that is, you know, I, I finally get to the LSAT, took me about 20 minutes to answer the first question. I'm like, you know, <laughs> this ain't for me, you know, and I got up and walked out of that deal and I had to try to figure it out. And it was Ken O'Keefe and Joe Philbin, who are my head uh, football coach, and my offensive coordinator, Allegheny, who told me, hey, you're you're a coach. You may not know it. You may not, you know, feel it right now, but that's who you are. You've always been a, a leader on the field with the teammates. You always held them accountable. That's what you are. Uh, my parents, did not want to hear that, but I'm glad I didn't listen at that point. I finally got mature enough to make my own mind up and became a coach. And you make your mind up, and, and you're somebody who's had experiences at the pro level and the college level. You've worked at Power 5 schools. You've worked under some of the biggest name coaches out there. Talk about how you developed your own coaching philosophy, how you took pieces of who you've worked with to become the man that you are that's now going to lead Temple House. Yeah, again, going back to those same two names, Ken O'Keefe and, and, and Joe Philbin, I had a great experience at Allegheny. We won a national championship there as a football player. And, you know, it was all about teamwork, uh, holding each other accountable. Uh, those were the things that were just instilled in us, being a player-led uh, football team, not having the coaches 
you know, always leading us as, as football players. Those were the things that were instilled in me at Allegheny. And then obviously had the opportunity to kind of get around people like Urban Meyer, uh, who forced alignment from the top down to the bottom. Uh, you know, people like, um, you know, uh, Jim Trestle, who, who also uh, taught everybody about loyalty, you know, being loyal to each other, holding each other accountable. It was just a combination of those, those same, you know, common threads that kept, you know, uh, seeping into my, my being. And I just kind of just took it in. You know, the one thing I always brought to the table was a work ethic and high energy. And then when I was able to put some organization and some, some, some real theory uh, that I was able to live through myself as a, as a football player uh, to, to, to work, uh, it developed who I was and who I became as a coach. And, you know, then uh, the thought process of maybe, you know, taking these, you know, these tools and, and being able to run your old program, you know, because not everything you learn from those guys and nothing against those guys really fit, fit, uh, fit, fit excuse me, who I was all the way as a person. I had some my own opinions and my own thoughts about how things should be run. I, I saw some of the mistakes that they ran uh, that they had uh, in, in developing those football teams and um, thought that, hey, maybe one day I can create this thing and do it my way. And that became a real thing. Obviously, the last 17 years of my career got real hungry for that. And uh, so when this opportunity came about, man, it's, it's been phenomenal, phenomenal for me to be able to kind of put those pieces together and and do it my way for the first time. So, you know, we've we talked to a lot of college uh, football and basketball coaches, including your your colleague at the Temple, Aaron McKee. And they yeah. talk about the importance of of what you are doing, not just on the football field, but off the football field. And that that starts with developing a level of trust with not only the student athlete, but their family. How did how did you develop your style as far as how you do recruiting? I mean, you're you're somebody that I mean, we'll get into it in a minute that that have re- has recruited some of the biggest names in in college football over the years at different places you've been, including uh, our beloved uh, Mr. Westbrook. And yeah. uh, so so how how do you do that? How do you develop that style? And how do you continue to just be yourself when you have to do that? You, you listen and you learn, right? Um, a lot of coaches, uh, you know, go into the home or approach an athlete and they sell them on, hey, I, I promise you I can get you to the NFL and uh, I promise you that you will start. You know, I promise you this and I promise you that. There's a lot of false promises that go on in the recruiting process. And, you know, um, I thought that that was all, you know, for lack of a better term right now, all BS, you know. I think that if you just keep it real with the individual, let them know that, hey, this is how hard it's going to be to attain those type of goals. And, and it's not guaranteed. And you have to have a, a a backup plan, you know, which may become your primary plan. And, and if that's OK, that's OK. You know, if, that's, if that happens, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, uh, being able to paint a big, real picture, you know, it's amazing, you know, nowadays that just keeping it real. Uh, with athletes and their families that that is what people they bite that hook and sinker you know what I mean and it's a shame to say that but you know it's just a matter of just keeping reality on the forefront of their mindsets that hey you know what you want is going to take a a bunch of hard work and and it's still not going to be guaranteed to you you know so let's make sure that we think bigger than football you know you got to develop as a man one day you're going to be you know, a grown man, whether you like it or not, you're going to be a grown man. You're going to have to deal with grown man consequences. And you might as well figure that out along with this process. Let football do that for you. 
you know, let these re- resources that universities provide uh, for you help you develop uh, yourself into a man, a husband, a father, you know, a person that can provide. And not only that, you know, don't, don't be afraid to develop the mindset of, you know, paying forward to a community that's going to one day support you in what you're trying to do. And, um, you know, that that's pretty much it, you know, a style, call it a style if you want, but to me, it's reality is what these young men need to know that, that life is real out here. So you might as well paint a real picture for them at the front door. Well, it seems like it's worked for you. I mean, guy names you can list off Cam Newton, the Pounceys, Bijan yeah. Robinson. Yeah. I want to ask about Brian Westbrook. He's one of our favorites here. And one of mine it, too. Is it true that Andy Talley asked you if you're willing to put your job on the table for him? Oh, and I'm talking about my first Division One scholarship recruiting job that I've ever had as a coach. You know, Andy Talley says, hey, you know, there's not enough film on this guy. You know, I've never taken a running back off a of basketball film. You know, I've never taken a, a running back with a hip that's blown out right now. So, you know, for me to sit there and believe you as a recruiter, you know, you, you have to be able to stand on the table and say, yes, you're willing to put your job on the line for this young man. And I would be lying to you guys if I sit there and say, hey, I was gung ho about that. <laughs> you know, I, I had to think about that. You know, I'm like, whoa, this is kind of heavy. Like, I wasn't really anticipating this type of conversation, you know, uh, recruiting that guy for the first time. But uh, no, it was it was the mindset that Brian Westbrook had in spite of all the diversity that he was going through. It was the chip on his shoulder that he had as universities, big universities were dropping them off of their recruiting boards. And Westbrook has something to prove. And uh, it took, you know, one layup line at a basketball game at the Matha where he looks at me in the stands and just flushes the ball fresh, fresh off a of hip surgery. I'm like, you know what? This kid's got something to prove. And it kind of reminded me of myself to some degree. Now, I'm not saying I was the athlete that Brian Westbrook was by any stretch, but that chip that he had on his shoulder is something that I had coming out of the inner seas of Cleveland. And, uh, and it reminded me a lot of myself. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Brian Westbrook made me believe in him. And uh, so I was willing to stand on the table because of how he felt about himself and what he was ready to prove. You know, you, me- you mentioned that that part of w- being a student athlete is becoming an adult and becoming part of your own community. And and so, you know, when we talk to, to especially people from Temple, how important community is and how important giving back is and using that platform is. How important is is that for you to, to give back to the community and, and to use the platform that you now have to benefit the community around you? Well, especially here in, in North Philly, you know, um, we're, we're, we're a neighborhood school, call it what you want. And we're surrounded by people who have been here longer than the university has been here, you know? So uh, I think it's critically important to, to build those relationships to let them know that, you know, Hey, we're, we're just leasing your area, but we want you to be involved in something that, that we're building here. That is great. And, and hopefully that what we do uh, when we do build it, the way we want it to be built, that you also could benefit from that, you know, as a, as a community. And, and not only that, it's just, it's, it's awesome for the development uh, of the young man, you know, who has all these selfish goals, right? They, they, they want this for themselves. They want that for themselves, but they, they don't realize that they can't get anything they want from themselves unless they, they have help, you know, they can't do it by themselves. So 
uh, it develops the whole man, just the mindset to be able to give back. And it just makes you feel good too, right? It keeps you on humble ground. Um, you know, you get people supporting you, you know, uh, you know, when we're sitting here blasting music, you know, at the, on the practice fields, you know, during the early hours of the morning, the people understand that, hey, you know, we got their back. And not only that we're trying to, you know, go out here and attain something as a as a as a football program, but we're really trying to to build this this neighborhood up, build you up, uh, give you a sense of pride, um, you know, along the way. So I think it's critically important to the development of the man for sure. You know, you yourself are a trailblazer. You're the only the second black coach that the Temples had uh, with Ron Dickerson. And and given what's going on in the national climate, we would be remiss if we didn't ask about your own journey. Can you talk about some of the challenges, but also some of the successes that helped you to get here as we all try to examine how we change this process to have more black coaches like you have the opportunity to succeed? Yeah, that's a, it's a hot topic, you know. Um, you know, despite the perceptions, right? You know, um, when you look at the percentages, the percentages don't lie. There, there are a lot of African Americans that play this sport at a high level, and if you do the ratio between that of which, uh, you know, uh, African American head coaches that are coaching them, I mean, it's it's, it's very lopsided. So, you know, um, the one thing that uh, as a young coach that I found out early is, you know, you know, we're needed when it's time to go out and recruit and relate to these athletes, right? You know, uh, it's, it's needed. We're needed when, you know, you have them in their programs and you're dealing with an issue and, and you may be that one guy that can relate to kind of fix the issue, you know, because you can relate where they're coming from. You can relate the family structure of where they're coming from, you know, but why can't we relate from a head coach's position, you know? So that, that became, you know, part of the hunger of why I wanted to be in, in a role like this is to be able to, to prove to people again, I guess call it that chip on the shoulder, right? Uh, that we can absolutely do everything you're asking us to do and still lead a football team, you know. And uh, I'm hey, I'm undefeated right now, so you know it's, it's easy for me to say things like this. But you know, hey, the one thing that I hope that I am that I am winning is you know I am still creating the relationships, the, the same relationships uh, that I did as a positional coach, and this on a larger scale. I, I have an opportunity to say. I've been through what you're going through and you can be great. You can, you can, you can really get through these things, you know, and uh, you know, when you fight the perception of, you know, uh, of, of what people believe uh, the competency level of, of an African-American coach or, or, or whatever it is um, it, it just, it just puts a burning in my heart to, to, to prove all of that stuff wrong. So it's a hot topic. It's, it's, it's definitely an issue. It's a problem. But the one thing I can say about uh, Temple University is they've always kind of been on the forefront of that. You know, they, they've always had, you know, uh, in, in other sports, they've had, you know, um, African-American coaches take leadership roles and, I, and, and be highly successful. So I grew up on cool. Coach Cheney. My, my dad was a Temple guy. Right? I grew up on watching Coach Cheney coach at Temple. That's exactly right. You know, and those guys take those roles and, you know, their their main goal is to, to sit there and, and show the world that it can be done and show these kids that it can be done. You know, uh, why, why hold them to a, a set standard when you can prove it otherwise? And, and, and so this is what this position is. I won't take it for granted. Coach, we know how, we really appreciate all your time. Uh, we know how much work there is to do, it's even in the offseason that people don't see behind the scenes. But before we let you go. 
we got to ask. So, so what style? What what should what should we be looking to see from Temple football under Coach Drayton? Well, I'm definitely trying, and, and organically, we'll live under the the mantra of, of Temple Tough. You know, seriously, and, and what that means is is being able to endure adverse situations, uh, not avoid them, hit, take them on, you know, head on. Um, and, and, and raise young men. You know, I'm going to coach on the edge. You know, we're, we're, we're going to demand excellence of these young men, you know. Um, uh, so you're going to see a physical style of play for sure. You're going to see, you know, uh, I had an unbelievable challenge by our president, Dr. Wingard. You know, he said, hey, uh, Temple needs to show up on every game. And, and what does that mean? That means just, just don't show up, win or loss, and just, you know, play the game, humdrum. No. Play it with a certain passion, a certain pride, a certain chip on your shoulder, you know, um, and, and that's what we're going to be. We're, we're going to play fast, hard, physical football, all right, but we're going to be uh, hard and, and, and chasing greatness in every phase of our life. And I think that's a direct correlation, you know, to, to winning football games, winning championships and, and winning in life, you know. So, yeah, we're going to be on the edge here. We're going to play with the chip. We're going to execute with the chip on our shoulder. You know, when it's time to say go on the football field, we're, we're going to try to hit people in the mouth. You know, so that's that's who we are. I mean, we're going to try to hit life in the mouth when the game is over. And, and that's what this is going to be. And so how hard how knowing this and, and hearing that style of play, how hard is it for you to to kind of gauge your time and, and not look too much forward to August? Like when that first game is coming? Yes. You know, come on, guys. It's, you know, when you're a competitor and, you know, what's at the end of the tunnel, this thing, yeah, it's very hard. But this guy, this job puts you on humble ground. There's so much to do before you even get to that point, right? You know, we're in winter conditioning right now. You want a humbling experience, just kind of see where we are physically right now. You know, we got a lot of work to do. Check our mindset. You know, we're not checking all the boxes the right way of how to do things the right way. Yet we we have work to do, you know, and that's that's part of it, man. That's part of the tough mantra is, is first of all being able to look yourself in the mirror and see that there is work to do, guys, right? And and and, and being able to to attack it willingly every single day, you know. So we're not there yet, you know. We we have work to do. We have to develop and create that consistency, and, and it does require a tough mindset. So, wow. you know. We look forward to following you build the program and more importantly, watching you develop men and really put that program in a place that reflects what we're hearing from you in this conversation. Uh, we hope we get to talk to you again as you move forward. And thanks so much for the time, Coach. I appreciate you guys and hope to talk to you guys soon. Jeff, if I had any skill that I passed on to my child and he was old enough to play football, I would send him to play for Coach Drayton. Now, granted, we have none of those things, <laughs> but he was a pretty impressive dude. He, he's the he's I think everything that Coach Carey really wasn't. Um, I think that that Coach Carey did, did a good job as a coach, but this guy will sell himself and sell this program. As you said, he, he's the kind of guy that if we had a kid that, that was going coming into our home, he's the kind of guy that I would feel comfortable sending him there. And I think he's going to be as successful as a football coach too. Yeah, I hope so. I I, I mean, I want to see him succeed. Mm-hmm. He's he's clearly built himself up the right way to get to where he is. He's somebody who's earned his shot, and I'm glad to see him get it. Yeah, and I think Temple football is going to be kind of exciting under him. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch. Jeff, let's keep the football conversation going here. 
All right. With the big game just two days away where you can now bet on just about anything, an estimated 31 million adults are expected to bet in some way on the game. Let's talk about some of your wagering entertainment options. Let's bring on the prop bet guy to help break down some of your options. You can find him on Twitter at prop bet guy. Doug, thanks for a little time today. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, We're so glad to have you uh, two days away from the game. Everybody's starting to look at what their options are in lots of states now. You can make a wager. I've seen there's over like a thousand prop bets for betters to wager. Where do people start? <laughs> it's a great question because every year that list just keeps growing and growing when it comes to the Super Bowl. You know, where to start? I mean, you start at the top. I mean, there's, there's no rhyme or reason, uh, you know, really where to go. I mean, I tend to gravitate towards uh, the more quantifiable. That's not, not necessarily, you know, the fun ones like the coin toss or the anthem or the Gatorade color. Um, I, I tend to focus on, on players and player props specifically. So that's usually where I start. Uh, there's no rhyme or reason though to, to someone looking to bet on the Super Bowl as to where they should start though. What are the, what are the bets that are most fun for you to work on? Yeah. So, I mean, my specialty is, is player props. So I, you know, my definition of fun is probably a little loose. I'm a numbers (laughs) guy. I love just digging into matchup data and stats and whatnot. So that's fun for me. I, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily fun for everyone, but, um, yeah, I mean, you know, when it comes to the Super Bowl or honestly just any NFL or NBA or MLB game, I just love, you know, digging into each player's line, uh, analyzing the matchup and and kind of going from there. If you look at the game itself for this year, before we get into the individual bets, you, you've got the Rams as, you know, three and a half to four point favorites. It's sort of become a little more of a Rams line. But then you look at it during the regular season, the Bengals were five and three on the road. The Rams were five and three at home and Cincinnati's 13 and seven against the spread this year. So how do you look at the game overall if somebody doesn't want to go to an individual bet, but they want to look at taking the game itself? Yeah, um, I, I definitely think it's going to be a close game. Um, you know, I know the Rams are technically at home, but I know for a fact, you know, book, books and uh, bookmakers are not necessarily giving them a huge advantage because, you know, the Super Bowl tends to be more of a corporate or general type crowd as opposed to like a specific fan base. Um, and, you know, the Bengals, yeah, they've just been plucky all season. You know, they've been gritty. They've had comeback wins. They've had dominant wins. Um, I'm not necessarily thinking they're going to win outright, but the Bengals on the spread seems like the way I personally would lean. So if we look at some of the in-game prop bets, we'll talk about some of the special stuff afterwards. But I mean, for people who haven't done it, you can bet on everything from the result of the first drive to who will call the first time out. The thing that I was surprised by that seems to be in the top 10 this year is the over-under on Evan McPherson's field goals. How often do we see a field goal mm-hmm. kicker as a top 10 prop bet in what Cincinnati's rookie kicker, who's never played in a game like this, now is going to have all this money on him? Yeah, you know, he's he's been all the rage. I mean, he's made every big field goal that the Bengals have asked of him, you know, throughout the playoffs in the regular season. Uh, and, and he's been and he's been money. I mean, those kicks, those, you know, those 50 yard field goals have been going through with ease. So I think he's definitely a, a popular guy when it comes to, you know, 
uh, looking at individual players and, and how they're performing. Uh, I tend to like the over on, on his kicking points or field goal props just because the Rams are pretty bend-don't-break defense. So I think the Bengals will find themselves in field goal position plenty this game. I am. You, I, can, I cannot believe that we're on, we're on the radio and we're talking about kickers. And it's a huge job. I know. You know <laughs> it's like with a top ten He's the first guy you asked me about. Yeah, it, exactly. Well, it's it's. I was just well. That's Jason. I was just surprised with all of the all of the offensive weapons. Like obviously, you see the over unders with the running backs and their rushing yards, with the receiving and the options yes. there. That a kicker bet with all the attention. I mean, if you look at the playoffs so far, you're a man who's watched it. How many games have come down to that last kick? You think we got a chance of seeing that again here? It, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I definitely think there's a chance. I mean, I mean the past. Uh, two rounds have been just fantastic with these, uh, you know, with these last drive type wins. So, I mean, I definitely could see it coming down to either, you know, McPherson or Mackay on the Rams side. All right. So, so the football part of it always fascinates me because people don't, I don't think realize how much goes into coming up with a number, but Mm -hmm. what confuses me is is the Mm -hmm. ones that are non-football related. Like, how exactly does someone go about evaluating how long the national anthem is or how many times Snoop Dogg is or is not going to take a puff on stage? Like, let's start with the national anthem. What kind of research can you do to make sure to, to, to give like a reasonable estimate of how long the national anthem is going to take? Yeah, so <laughs> it's, it's a great question. You know, these, these types of bets, not exactly my cup of tea, but I'll dabble just for the fun of it. When it comes to the game, I mean, with the anthem, I mean, people will go back and analyze previous, you know, national anthems at Super Bowls or big events and whoever is performing the anthem, if they've done an anthem before and how long it takes. And then usually when it comes down to like the sound check that that uh, performer's doing, uh, usually a day or two days beforehand, it'll get leaked at some point. It did last year where someone was right outside the stadium. Um, recording, I forget who performed the anthem, but recording whoever was performing. And it, I think it went clearly over whatever the line was. So everyone started hammering the over. So it's just, you know, it, it kind of comes down usually to inside information at the last second. You know, another one that I'm sure not is your favorite, but seems to be, I mean, as, as I used to see, the most bet thing on the game is the coin flip. Which is like it's it's all yeah. luck, but now I saw you can bet on the decision that the team makes after the coin flip, and twelve of the last yeah. thirteen coin flip winners decided to defer, including eleven straight. Tell us about why everybody decides to bet on the coin flip, and what the strategy is for deferring or not with your choice there. If you're going to make that pick, look, people want. You know, if you want a quick, fast way to either, you know, make or lose money, I mean, the coin flip, that's it. I've heard stories about people, you know, in in Vegas where, you know, there's just loud eruptions and people are outside thinking, oh, no, the game has started. No, it's it's just the coin flip happened and and people bet on it. I mean, it's just, you know, that's just it's kind of like, you know, going to the roulette table taking a spin it's really just you know chance and just seeing how it unfolds but yeah when it comes down to the decision i mean the the de- you know i think both teams would probably defer um if they did win so i, I definitely like that bet 
All right, I've got one that seems like a lock to me, but it's a good thing I don't drop my own money on this anymore. He's been one of our guests, <laughs> Icky Woods, here on the show. There's a prop bet as to whether a player will pay tribute to Icky Woods by doing the Icky shuffle during a touchdown or celebratory <laughs> moment. It, somebody's going to do that on Cincinnati, right? I mean, come on. I, I think they have to. They I have mean, to. Yeah, I, I don't know how you could. Yeah, I, I think like that's that has to have been a discussion within the Bengals locker room. You know, Hey, if you score, you got to do this. So yeah, I like that one. All right. Well, what if they modify it? Does it count? Like what if they do a, a half icky shuffle and something else? Like how does, what, is, uh, what know, does that count as? It's, it's a great question. I, I don't know, you know, who, who at these sports books is deciding what constitutes an icky <laughs> shuffle or not, but I don't envy that person, you know? So, so Jeff mentioned some of the ridiculousness of the halftime show prop bets, uh, like will Snoop Dogg smoke on stage or what will the first song be played or what color will his shoes be? Or will there be a wardrobe malfunction? Do you stay away from these halftime prop bets or, or do you go and play those too? Yeah, no, I, I usually stay away. I mean, anything <laughs> that I can't really quantify, um, I tend to stay away from. So I'll, look, I'll be honest. I think yeah, you I'm can... not hating on them. I think you can quantify if Snoop Dogg's going to smoke on stage practically. So just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that, that's fair. That's fair. Um, but yeah, you know, they're, hey, they're fun. And, and, you know, I think it's just people who want action for the entirety of the game. Um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll put a little money on, on those types of bets. Yeah, but but the the real part of the game, the part that, that Jason, I, and you love is the, the sport. The, foot, the actual game mm-hmm. itself. What goes into mm-hmm. or what went into coming up with like the line for the over-under for the entire game? Like what, what, what are the main things that we, would, we should all be looking for? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's two relatively high-powered offenses, which usually would yield a line in, in the 50s. But I do think that these teams tend to play a little slower pace, which is what brought down the line to – uh, I think it's right now sitting at 48 for the over under, um, you know, it's, it, it really comes down to how you think this game will flow. Um, I tend to think that, uh, you know, even though these both defenses are good, especially the Rams defense, I, I do think it's going to come down to a close game in the fourth quarter, which usually would tip this towards the over. Um, if, if it was more of a blowout, one team is probably going to get conservative towards the end and, and play really slow and deliberate and just kind of try to protect their lead. So I tend to lean towards the over on that, but uh, you know, there's, there's just a ton of factors to kind of analyze when you're going through a bet like that. If we were going to say, tell our listeners one or two things they should look out for in game. I've seen the cam acres uh, over under, I've seen Cooper cups over under, who Mm -hmm. are you looking out in terms of players and props for what, what somebody should look out for that they might be able to make a little bit on. Yeah, sure. So, so two props that I've already played. Um, speaking of Cam Akers, I actually have the under on his rush attempts. So that line was 16 and a half when I played it. Uh, reason why I like the under, you know, he hasn't been quite effective coming back from injury. He's also a little banged up. You know, Sony Michelle's going to mix in. Daryl Henderson is looking like he's going to play. He might mix in as well. Um, and I, at the end of the day, I do think that Sean McVay is going to have, you know, Stafford throwing the ball a lot because, you know, that's kind of what their offense is predicated on, you know, Stafford and their excellent receiver. So I have the under on, on that one. And then on the Bengals side, I know all the rage is Jamar chase. I actually like T Higgins to go over 69 and a half receiving yards. Um, he's hit this in nine of his last 12 games, maybe somewhat quietly. Uh, the last two games, he's actually, 
led the Bengals in receiving yards and targets. So, uh, you know, I think Jalen Ramsey might be shadowing Jamar Chase, might not be, but either way, I think this is a good matchup for Higgins to kind of sneakily get, you know, upwards of 80 some odd yards. We, we know how much Joe Burrow has come on this year uh, and how exciting he's mm-hmm. been and the numbers he's been putting up. What's the most fun one or the one that we should look at when it comes to if we're just watching Joe Burrow? You know, one, one thing I like about Super Bowl quarterbacks is if you, if you are a believer that, you know, you think the Bengals can win, um, which I definitely think can happen, I, I, would, I would put a little money on Joe Burrow to win MVP of the game. Because if they win, um, it's most likely on, on, you know, the arm of Burrow. Uh, you know, receivers usually don't get uh, much love for the MVP. I think, you know, if the Bengals are going to take this, Burrow's probably going to have two, three touchdown passes, and he's probably going to take home MVP. So you can get that, you know, at better than two to one odds. Um, so that's a fun one, if you, especially if you really, you know, are liking the Bengals to pull out the upset. Wait, so you're thinking that Burrow has better odds to, to be the MVP than the kicker? Jason's going to be very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I will say, if, if Evan McPherson winds up winning MVP, it probably wasn't the most fun game to watch. So I, I would be rooting for, for Burrow to take it, yeah. All right, look, I'm not going to ask you about the Gatorade to end, but I did want to end on a, a non-football prop bet if I could. I'm sure you're somebody that's looking ahead to after we're here in Philly the Ben Simmons, James Harden trade. Will you be looking for about a gazillion prop bets when Ben Simmons returns here on March 10th to play in Philadelphia for the first time, including how many free throws oh. he misses and how much he gets booed? <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, if they offer it, yeah, I'll definitely be looking at it. It's it's going to, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, we'll see how he ramps up beforehand, but that, I mean, I think everyone has that date circled on the calendar right now to see, uh, you know, that game, his return to Philly and, the reception that you know your, your guys' fans will give him. Oh, he's going to get well, a reception. So yeah. So so if you're not <laughs> yeah. if you're not from Philadelphia, there's something, <clears throat> excuse me, called the frosty freeze out. And when and when the mm-hmm. opponent the opposing team misses two free throws in a row, then all the fans get this frosty the next day. We are in Philadelphia are all going to be waiting for you to put up that prop bet on whether or not there's going to be a, a frosty given the day after that and, game. And in fairness to you on that on that <laughs> potential prop bet, yesterday when the trade went down, the Wells Fargo Center tweeted out on their account the date 310, and Wendy's replied to the tweet with a picture of a frosty. So we've, we've got Wendy's trolling <laughs> these prop bets now for you out there. So, uh, Doug, we really appreciate the time. Uh, where can people follow along for you and see your latest things going into the game and then after that? Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Uh, you follow me on Twitter at PropBetGuy and all my picks, uh, as well as all of our analysts, picks, plays, props, parlays, uh, pickswise.com. We have a huge Super Bowl hub, but we also do every sport every day. So check us out. Uh, good resource for any better. Thank you so much for the time. Wish you best of luck with the bets and everybody else who's watching you. And let's hope for a good game. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Jeff, I know you're going to go place a lot of prop bets now, right? Not happening. No, it's no. not well, happening. I think it's a lot of fun. It adds to the Super Bowl, but it's not me. Yeah, I knew you weren't going to yeah. be the one. But I mean, I think $31 billion was the number or some crazy number that will be back. Now, is that, is that legal gambling or is, is that an estimate of even the illegal gambling? So it's $60 billion in wagers in 2021. They expect an estimated $7.61 billion to be on the line for the big game.
So that's a lot of money and a lot of tax dollars for people. What are you looking forward to see? We got about two minutes left here in the game in terms of winner game. I think you're worried about a blowout, right? I am. For some reason, I just picture that we think that because of Joe Burrow, this game is going to be closer than it is. The Rams are better on both sides of the ball. The, the, just, it's the just Bengals line concerns me. I mean, Burrow got sacked nine times in a playoff game already this season. And, and that defense wasn't nearly as good as what you're going to see. You're going to have just these three pieces. You're going to have Von Miller on one side, and you're going to have Aaron Donald on the other side. That's two future Hall of Famers on the defensive line. And then you have a lockdown corner in Jalen Ramsey who's going to go toe-to-toe with Jamar Chase. I, so then what do you do if you're the Bengals? I definitely think it's a challenge for the Bengals. Um, your thoughts on the fact that it may be very hot there, the conditioning of people. This is not an air-conditioned stadium. There is supposed to be a breeze that flows through, but there is an excessive heat warning, and it will be in the 80-plus kickoff. I, I'm not an architect, but when, when I heard that the stadium has no air conditioning in L.A., I uh, the stadium costs what two billion dollars? Yes, and somehow HVAC they not think, included. <laughs> I know they said that it's environmentally uh, conscious not to have it, but you're going to have a lot of people that might have heat stroke I, instead. It could be very warm there for people. All right, your your winning losing pick. What do you think is going to happen? I say Rams are going to win, and it's going to be thirty three to twenty one. I think the Rams are going to win. Which means your kicker is not going to get any field goals. I think the Rams. Oh, no, no, the I think the <laughs> kicker is definitely going to get field goals because they're going to bend but not break. I want the Bengals to win. I think the Rams will win. We'll see what happens next week. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Bye bye.